0: Good morning. good morning. It is a real honor to fit into the series. And last week's message was a game changer, wasn't it? God is with us in this pilgrimage. And I want you to know it's such a delight. And by the way, if you're newer, you've found a good home. And, uh, and if you didn't see last week's message, please go online. As Pastor Ryan really helped us understand in this journey from the distant desert to the presence of God in this journey we're in. God's with us through every circumstance and all of the hard times. But I want you to know, I love praying for awakening, being the friend and brother of this family. And I believe there's a reason God gave us. And by the way, can I be an honorary member today? Is that okay? God gave us the name awakening because God wants to bring for the first time in almost 200 years, he wants to bring a full and great awakening to our land. But it's not going to be one bonfire in a stadium. It's going to be millions of brush fires. Millions of people awakening. Awakening their spiritual senses to the presence and purpose of God. So thank you for being part of that um, as we watch seekers and saints come together. And last week we encountered the Lord who's with us in all circumstances. I just have to say... As we finished this morning's message, there is going to be time for some Q&A. So if you have questions about the Psalms or the series that we've been in, or questions about today's message, or questions about Scripture, I won't promise to have all the answers, but we'll do our best to discover it together. And by the way, I don't want to be awkward, and if there's no one that has a question, we'll pray and go eat donuts, okay? So just be, be praying and thinking about that as we walk through the Word this morning. I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms. It's the songbook of Israel and the church. It's the most quoted scripture in the New Testament. Now, I stepped into a church-like awakening in the 1970s for the first time. I wasn't a converted Christian. I'd grown up in kind of a liberal, Protestant, uh, 55-minute sermon-between-cigarette-breaks church. Okay? Okay. <laughs> And I'm not going to demean my folks, they they really were good folks, full of integrity, meant well, but there was no life there. And I walked into a church-like awakening, and people were singing like they knew the words. By the way, this is pre-overhead. There was a day, there wasn't an overhead. And they were lifting their hands like we did, and they were singing. And I found out later, they were singing the Psalms. And then I remember the day the electric guitar came in the church. (laughs) And music got better. (laughs) The Psalms capture all of our emotions, don't they? I mean, I love it. I can complain and praise in the same five-minute period. And they give us wisdom for this paradoxical journey we're in. And our psalm this morning, Psalm 73, opens a new book Now, we've been studying messianic psalms, pilgrimage psalms, complaining psalms, praising psalms. There's so many types. But this new book focuses on the school of Asaph as Israel's in exile. Um, Now, about 10 years ago, I declared myself in internal exile in this culture. Have you ever just looked around at the world and said, things are upside down? Well, you're right. But what's so wonderful is it's precisely in the place of exile that God's people became the most powerful. More people came to Judaism. More people learned about the Lord God as he scattered and distributed his people in exile. And even when they came back and rebuilt a modest temple, they brought glory to God. And so in the middle of all this, we have Psalm 73. Now, every single day... We complain about our life. Now, if you don't, come see me, and I'll just check what level of holiness you've reached. But there's not a day that goes by we don't complain. And there's not a day, I hope, as a believer, that we don't also praise the giver of life. And that's normal. I want to give you a fun phrase that Kathy and I like to use, and that is that life is a joyous lament. Lament. It's full of joy and it's full of sorrow in the same day. And when we can get that inside of us as normal, it doesn't mean every day is a roller coaster. Although if you work in this valley, it probably is sometimes. But it does mean that every day has a full range of experiences. In 1987, Kathy and I left Washington, D.C. and came out to California and we left a very difficult situation, not exaggerating to say spiritual abuse. Just really difficult. Got out, we had six dollars in our checking account, and we were starting all over, and I was so excited. There was a college that said, we have three classes for you, and there was a church plant on the beach. How many of you know teaching in the redwoods and church on the beach sounds really good? Yeah. So it was hard. So we, we packed everything, put it in my folks' garage, and we were so excited. And the week we arrived, the classes were canceled and the church was decertified. <sighs> and of course, all I did was say, praise God. No, I, I did, but I also lamented greatly. And during nine months... I I taught in three different colleges, pumped gas at five in the morning, sold stationery at ten in the morning, and all my clergy friends were praying me back into the ministry. By the way, I never lost my reverend title and they still took my dues, okay? But what it did forever was change my perspective of what I thought I deserved in life. And what it also did forever is help me honor the work all of us do all week. And 30 years later, I spend my days creating networks of pastors to understand the work that we do all week as valuable to God. Can I just say thank you for the good work that you do? Thank you for your parenting and grandparenting. Thank you for your volunteering. Thank you for your engineering, your service, your nursing. Everything that you do is serving God. But that was not a fun moment. It was nine months, nine months that my wife had to listen to her in-laws tell her how to parent. And then God opened some new doors of pastoral and teaching work. And, And praise God, lesson learned, everything's fine. And then it happened again seven years later. By the way, life is going to hit us with the unexpected. But we have a God who's not caught by surprise. Can you say amen? N.T. Wright, a wonderful biblical writer and scholar, says that when we look at the world around us, we see four echoes of a divine voice. Four ways we know God is present. One is beauty. Have you ever just looked at the world and had your breath taken away? When I first saw the Grand Canyon, I just went (gasps) and then stared for about an hour. Beauty has a way of doing that. Truth can do it as well. We know that there are things that are true. Love does it. Now, I know when we're very young, we fall in love about once a week. But love in its richest sense, the love we have for our brothers and sisters here, the love husbands and wives you have for each other, the love we have as we work together, aren't you glad for those loves God's given us? But there's one that permeates this psalm, and that's justice. I don't know how it works, but I never had to teach my three-year-old to say it's not fair. I don't know where they got that. It's the same way. I don't know where little boys turn their bread into guns either. I don't get it. We had no guns in our house and my, my son still turned his bread, he ate his bread and turned it into a gun. I don't know what that is, but, but somehow I never had to teach my kids it's not fair. There is something in the universe in an us of beauty and truth and love and justice, especially justice. A few years ago when I was pastoring in San Jose, I had a man walk into my office and he said, I want to become a Christian. I paused and said, I think we're in that business. <laughs> Turns out he was a Persian doctor, a nominal Muslim who had been with Doctors Without Borders for four years. And he said, everywhere I went, I saw compassion from Christians. I have to know why. And over the six-month period, I took time to make sure he understood what it was to follow Jesus. And we got to baptize him. We couldn't publish his name because his parents would be in danger in Tehran. And his fiancée at the time wasn't yet a believer. She was a Zoroastrian, Persian. A double PhD in genetics. How many even you know there's some really smart people in this valley? And for in celebration of that conversion and baptism, she baked a cake that said, happy Christianing. <laughs> and I'll never forget that day. By the way, she came to Christ just a few months later. He passed his boards. He's practicing medicine in Northern Cal. Um, but it was something about the tangible compassion that witnessed to him well in our text today we're going to talk today about how to complain and how to get perspective and how to have our hearts healed from the contradictions we see all around us i'm just going to read parts of the word with you and it'll come up on the screen but i'm just going to read parts of psalm 73 if you have a Bible. Or if you have it electronically, turn to Psalm 73. And I'm going to read portions of this text and kind of walk you through it. And and together, we're going to experience the emotions of this mature believer. Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. I mean, isn't that where we all start? If I'm good, God's good, life will be good. Well... My feet almost slipped, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked and the people stepping into the Tesla store. They have no struggles on Santana Row. It's there in the Hebrew, I assure you. Pride is their necklace. They're always free of care. That's what it looks like, right? And then, this is, this is honesty. This is raw honesty. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Wow. I don't get it, God. My wife and I um, live in the Denver area now, although we're back here often, so this is still home. But uh, we love our new home as well and our new church And our dear pastor is an amazing man, and about a year ago, his 23-year-old son went to be with the Lord. He was already finishing a master's at 23 in ministry and lost a battle with cancer. And I watched that, and then I look at some 95-year-old atheist, and I just say, God, the equation doesn't work. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Until I entered the sanctuary of God and understood their final destiny. How suddenly they are destroyed. And then the writer goes on, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. Lord, something happened to this pilgrim. Something happened to Asaph here as he went into the presence of God and recognized how God was using this moment. And then toward the end of the psalm, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell. Of all your deeds. How do we get from being embittered to new praises? How do we get there? And by the way, what's really wonderful is this poetry helps us walk in that direction. Well, the first three verses were just dealing with our pain. Is it worth it to really follow the Lord? I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, The Corinthian believers were struggling with people denying the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul said, by the way, if there's no resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In fact, when Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, I sometimes am am a little bit playful, because they don't believe in an eternal separation from God. And so I'll just tell them I'm perfectly content with my life and going and rotting in the grave. And they almost don't know what to do. Well, don't you want to be on paradise earth? I said, no. And then I I later repent and tell them I'm a Christian theologian. (laughs) But folks, if there is no life after life, if there's nothing more than what we see under the sun, to borrow Ecclesiastes, is it worth it? So God is good to the good. I mean, God's good, and if I'm good, life should be good. Well, the crisis of faith is that circumstances are not in line with our assumption. Have you ever said this in so many words? If you haven't come see me And again, I'll let you pray for me. God, I've done everything right, and look at the mess. Of course, that's not quite a true statement, is it? I've done everything right. But nonetheless, there are oftentimes things happen that are not because of our sin or our mistakes. And so life isn't lining up. And and the writer says, I have a heart full of bitterness and envy. I'm wondering if purity and holiness is worth the effort. By the way, especially in today's world where everything, I didn't realize that the values I stood for were oppressive and evil and intolerant. I thought they were liberating and joyful and holy and good. Can I just give you a little historical aside? The Christian values of the first century in the Roman Empire were the radical values, not the traditional ones. The traditional ones were full of polygamy, immorality, hatred of the vulnerable and the poor, despising infants and handicapped folks. And it was Christians who said life is precious from conception to coronation. It was Christians who said that sexual intimacy should be in marriage. It was Christians who said, don't waste your energy on all the debauchery. Turn it into work and service. This was radical. And now we're being accused of being traditional. What you're watching today is not a forward progress away from tradition. It's a reversion to debauchery. But the writer here is going, yeah, but they're all having fun, and I'm going through agony. What's going on? And here's our perceptions. Verses 4 to 12, if you need to complain, just use verses 4 to 12, okay? They have health and they have image. Their bodies seem so strong. By the way, if I had $9,000 a month for my body, it would look better too. <laughs> That's the budget of one Hollywood uh, actor. And I'm, again, not against actors per se, but 9000 bucks a month on your body, we're, we're all going to look good. Everything looks perfect. They walk in self-righteous moral inversion. Good is now bad, and sin is now freedom. It's just—it's it's upside down. And and I hey, I, I agree with you. It's upside down. <laughs> they lust for power, and they destroy their opposition. I have colleagues that have been physically forced from platforms and not allowed to speak. Not just Christians, not just conservatives. But I have people who've been trying to speak their minds and hearts about justice, and they've been prevented. Because these wicked, prosperous folks seem to have it all. And to top it off, they're popular and they're rich. Now, since the 1910s and 20s, we have lived vicariously through celebrities. By the way, reality TV is not... The moment you have a camera, the world changes. Apart from really good documentaries or immediate footage, reality TV is not. But it's amazing how people live their lives through these celebrities. So life is not lining up. I'm doing everything right, trying to serve the Lord, trying to walk in holiness. And these people are doing everything wrong And they're carefree and happy, and I'm feeling the agony. And in verses 13 to 15 of our text, as you look at the psalm, the writer pauses for a moment and says, You know, I'm trying to be faithful, I'm trying to do what is right, but my life is full of suffering while arrogant unbelievers go their merry way. You see, what's going on, and let me give you this as an insight. God is going to put everything right, ultimately. We have to recalibrate our expectations of the when and how God works. Because we think that A happens, B has to happen. If I'm good, now, by the way, in general, if you live according to the ways of the Lord, from the inside out, life is going to be better. But there's not a guarantee that life will be without suffering or difficulty or contradiction. And then the writer pauses and says, you know, if I speak this way, I don't want to cause my children to lose faith. I'm deeply troubled. By the way, we have responsibility for others. Did you know that your internal struggles are not only yours? You see, folks, all of us are a pebble in the pond. Our life reverberates negatively or positively at any given moment. Now, the good news is it's okay to be struggling, provided we can struggle together and get divine perception, get understanding. What do we do? How do we move from this place? The answer is the presence of God, getting an eternal perspective. All this grieved me, troubled me, vexed me, different translations. All of this unnerved me until I entered the sanctuary of God. And suddenly those unrighteous folks, which by the way, we should be praying for. Because we were all them at one time. Hello? But they've got a destiny that is not pleasant. God's going to take care of that. But I entered the presence of God, and I got eternal perspective. Now, one of the things about reading Scripture completely, from Genesis 1 and 2 to Revelation 21 and 22 is we discover God's design and his destiny, is that we would be embodied worshipers and workers, walking with him, enjoying him, and bringing good to the world that he created. How many of you know one day it's going to all be put right? And until that day, we have the Holy Spirit to give us down payments of that future. But we need an eternal perspective now, James, is, James, I think, is the choleric book of the New Testament. He's a blunt writer, and he says, what is your life? It's a morning mist. What he's really saying is compared to eternity. As Paul puts it another way, our light and momentary affliction today is working an eternal weight of glory. How do we get there? How do we get there? First of all, we have to awaken our spiritual senses. The writer said, I was a brute beast. I was senseless. Do you realize that all of our natural senses have spiritual counterparts in the Bible? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord smells prayer as fragrance. And he touches us, doesn't he? By his spirit. In fact, our touch to one another, one of the reasons the Bible says that we should lay hands on one another and bless and pray for one another or greet one another. All the physical senses have spiritual counterparts. In the presence of God, this morning, what a sweet worship time. What a powerful worship time. By the way, am I the only one that gets convicted and comforted at the same time? I know, no, seriously, every time I begin to sing my praises to God, I become aware of my inadequacy and I become aware of his greatness. I'm in awe of who he is and a little bit less in awe of myself. That's a healthy thing. But we have to awaken our spiritual senses. We have to affirm God's faithfulness, his guidance, his eternal welcome. By the way, I'm not talking about an escapism that simply says, okay, I'll just hold on to the rapture, hold on. There's a certain element of that, but it's not escapism. It's an awareness that whatever we are going through now is preparing us for an eternity beyond our comprehension. As Dallas Willard puts it, the character we're developing now continues and is perfected in the presence of God. Wow. Our affections need to be transformed. We need to delight in God. And we have to leave ultimate justice with Him. There's a day coming when those who say, My will be done, will get to experience the consequence of that. And by the way, it's a tragic consequence of absence and separation. But those who've said, thy will be done, however imperfect they are, however much they struggle, however much they wrestle with things, they will be welcomed into the eternal presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the writer says, when I get that perspective, it really helps me. You know, a good book to read with this psalm is the book of Ecclesiastes. And the writer said, I'm trying to understand life Under the sun. And guess what? I can't without referring to the Creator. And I want you to hear this little phrase from Derek Kidner Life does not hold the meaning to itself. If you're going to try to find meaning in the circumstance, we'll come short. But if in the presence of God, knowing His character, His nature, and His ways, we have meaning, Because in it, God's working his will in us and in the world. How do we do this? I can't tell you that you'll come to a point of never complaining again. What I can tell you is, offer your complaint and get in his presence. Now, folks, getting in his presence isn't hard because he's omnipresent. He's in us. He's with us. But it's, again, awakening our spiritual senses Now, I was born with a 30% loss of hearing in this right ear. I was a preemie. The big joke is, what would have happened if I baked all the way? I don't know. But I was born with a loss of hearing. So when my wife wants to whisper, she has to whisper in my left ear. And there are times she'll say something, and then she'll kind of roll her eyes. Oh, yeah, I'm in his right ear. I better go to the left ear. Well, sometimes we're like that. God's speaking, but we've got to tune in. And I want to give you another insight that helps me. Not everything that occurs is God's will. Please, please, don't use phrases like, it's all good. It's not all good. It's not all good when terrorists attack. It's not all good when disease takes someone early. It's not all good when things happen that shouldn't. God is good. And he's working his good through it. But don't blame God nor call good what isn't good. And when someone's suffering, the best thing we can often do is be silent, but bring them to the presence of God. And it was 1998. I had resigned from a church in the Northwest, and we were getting ready to move back to California. I was under significant uh, difficulty at that moment. My confidence was not high. And on Good Friday, the Lord said to me, You know, Jesus did everything right and his reward was a cross. And I said, Lord, I haven't done everything right. (laughs) And that wasn't the point. The point was, I've been invited to walk in the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. And that low moment, I begin to come out of that despondency when I recognized Both my own imperfections, but also recognized that life was going to bring difficulties that were unexplainable. But Jesus had already walked that for me. My wife gave this insight and I shared it a year ago, but I'd like to share it again. When Jesus cried out why on the cross, he took all of our unanswered questions as well. The Lord we worship this morning knows what it's like to be a human being and say, why? And the answer is found as we get to the other side and get eternal perspective. Well, how do we get healing for our hearts here? How do we begin to really see the Lord heal our hearts? Well, first of all, being honest and vulnerable before God and trusted friends really helps When my family imploded when I was 17 and uh, I had to negotiate between my divorcing parents and help raise my six-year-old little brother, my dad, as a good engineer, sent me to a psychotherapist for evaluation. And I love mental health professionals and believe that they do God's work in the world. She listened to my testimony of my church and she said, you know, therapy will be helpful at times in life, but right now, don't waste your money here. Stay in your church. You see, I had moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and friends surrounding me. In fact, the night my mom left my dad, I had to lead a small group on my high school campus. Four people came to Christ that night. I cried beforehand, led four people to Christ, and went back in the back room and cried again. Because that's joyous lament. Was it God's will that my mother do that? No. But was God's will still being done in my life? And for the life of the world, can you say amen? Amen. Four people came to Christ. Right now, all of us, either directly or one or two degrees of separation, have real challenges, and all of us have amazing joys at the same time. Please, find, find friends. And Awakening, you are such friends to each other in this community can I just challenge the members here? Would you just make room for one or two new ones? And can I challenge you if you're newer and trying to fit in, if you start being one of those friends, you'll find yourself surrounded by friends and you'll have a safe place to process when life occurs. Secondly, we have to let go of our expectations and mature in our understanding. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have good expectations of God or believe he answers prayer. I'm saying let go of our imaginations, our fantasies, our idea of the formulas of how it should all go. Once I do that, then every good and perfect gift is received well. And every difficulty that comes, I can begin to battle successfully. Because expectations make us better or bitter. And if I can put them in my eternal God. By the way, what have we actually given up to follow Jesus that wouldn't kill us anyway? I'm trying to think what I've given up. Let's see. Arrogance, pride, debauchery, rebellion. Hmm. I think those are self-destructive. What have I taken on in taking on Jesus Christ? Making no provision for the old nature? Love and joy and peace, allowing the fruit of the Spirit to begin to flow. We need to cultivate an integrated life of inner devotion and outward service, doing it for the glory of God and the good of others. When our motives are pure and our methods are wise, impact can happen. When I was doing my doctoral work at UC Santa Cruz, I'm a proud banana slug. I still have the T-shirt with the glasses and Play-Doh and a yellow banana slug. I had the administrator. I came up and I would say hi to her. Her name was Diane. I said, Diane, how are you doing? And she looked at me one day. She goes, you actually want an answer, don't you? <laughs> and she was really having a hard time at that moment. I said, yeah, Diane, I really pray for you and I care for how you're doing. We begin to seek God's glory and the good of others, and we find ourselves filled up. It's an amazing paradox. We need to pray for those who are far from God. By the way, it's okay to complain. I'm not happy when I look at the headlines, but am I praying for those in Hamas and Hezbollah? Am I praying for those who oppose my values? Saying, God, have mercy. God, bring repentance. God, don't give them what they deserve any more than you've given me what I deserve. Because, Lord, Lord, if you gave us all what we deserve, we wouldn't be here. God, have mercy. We begin to go in the opposite spirit of those who oppose what we stand for. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give the shirt off your back. Not self-destruction, but you change the power equation completely when you begin to bless others and even those that you've struggled with envying. And finally, we need to celebrate God's blessings and the fact that he uses imperfect people to accomplish his ends. By the way, read the Hebrew scriptures, read the Old Testament more. Most of it would be a great HBO series. Because there's only one perfect hero in this whole book and that's God. He's the hero. He's the one. So how do we move from anger and confusion disappointment to contentment and perspective? We take time in his presence to get an eternal perspective. Folks, one day one day when we're with him forever, in our new bodies, doing the works designed for us in the eternal kingdom, worshiping in that new Jerusalem, watching the nations bring tribute to our God, one day, what we experience now will seem so momentary. And it's the Holy Spirit that this morning wants to give us that perspective and by the way, he's also present to help us in our suffering. He's also present at times to intervene supernaturally and accelerate things beyond what we can ask or think. And this morning, there's a healing for the heart. Some of us have been inoculated. Oh, we believe, but we kind of live with a reserve. We're afraid to abandon ourselves. To the gospel and to Christ, because we're worried that we're going to be disappointed. We're afraid to really jump into church because we've been wounded by people who call themselves Christians. And I think at times I may have brought some of those wounds to people without meaning to. Today, He wants to heal our heart. And so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us to pray together and pray in some of the points of God's word, and then I'm going to open the floor for a few minutes. And see if there are any questions. And if not, we'll have a great time of fellowship and make sure there are no donuts left for the staff tomorrow. But would you join me in prayer? God, it is a holy, 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 holy thing to unpack your word and to see your work. Lord, we thank you for last week's message that tells us you're with us in the difficulties and we thank you for your word today, you are still just, but delayed justice for the unrighteous is mercy that they might turn to you. Would you take a moment and begin to pray for those who don't know Christ right now, who are in your life or connected with your life, quietly but verbally, would you bring people's names to God right now? whether they're public figures or personal friends, Lord, we bring to you many that we have envied, many that we know, many we know need you. We bring their names to you today. We get outside of ourselves, Lord. And we say, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on those politicians and celebrities and business leaders that are so arrogant by your standard. God, have mercy. Draw them to you. That they might know you and spend forever with you. Lord, we now bring you our hearts. And we have to be honest, Lord. It's hard when we struggle with things that are not our own doing. And others seem to just have a carefree life. Lord, we know it's more complex, but that's how we feel today. We give you those feelings this morning. And we'll give them to you tomorrow and the next day. We bring them to you. And God, we ask in your holy presence that you would give us perspective. That the power and the wealth that the arrogant amass will vanish as a morning mist. And the good works we do when no one's looking, Lord, will be a forever crown before you. Lord, give us perspective right now. And as you're praying, would you begin to thank him for an eternal perspective? Would you begin to thank him right now that what you do today resounds forever? And so, God, we ask you right now to purify our hearts, to awaken our spiritual senses that we might be aware that in all things, you are at work for good. And God, you don't cause all things but you are transforming us and your church in and through every moment we see. So Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you say amen with me? Are you glad for his goodness? Are you glad he's working? Amen. Amen. By the way, it's so much fun to go to the Bible and not make anything up. (laughs) But are there any questions about the Psalms, about this series? According to my watch, we have about seven or eight minutes before they're going to drag me off the stage. Um, And if not, it's okay. But I want to give people a chance to share. You're welcome to make a statement. Um, But any questions about what Pastor Ryan's been preaching or about the Psalms? Aren't they a great book? Aren't they a great body of literature? Any questions or comments? What's this series meant to you? What's, what's God been doing in you? Or, or am I the only one that's been being turned upside down? I'm online. What's God been doing? Hey, we're in church. We're not supposed to talk like this. Yeah. Please. Um, just new perspective. It, it's bringing, you know, I've heard, read the Psalms before. And it's like, uh, I'll hear Ryan speak on it, and I'll go back and try to read it. New perspective. Yeah. New, new perspective. Um, I'll you know, hear Ryan and even you speak about it, and then I'll go back and try reading it myself. I'm like, I'm still not getting what Ryan just pulled out of the psalms or something like that. And it just really um, brings so much light and life to it and alive. And just I want to go back and listen to him again. But really, really cool perspective. That word perspective, can we just let that settle? Because that's so important, isn't it? And by the way, perspective's often only after. Mm-hmm. Something's occurred. So I just want to receive that. That's fantastic. Someone else, what are you gaining or questions that you might have? Please, sir. Yeah, I think the main thing right now, this like this whole series has been like a real blessing in my life right now because I I'm in this very like transitional period in my life. Just graduated from college. But there's also just been a part of me like this summer I've felt like I've just kind of been like floating with life, not quite at the next place. But definitely not in the last last season. And it this this series has been like a kinda of just a comfort right now. It just remind me like no matter what comes next, like God is in control. He's yeah. giving me a lot of peace right now, <laughs> even when like I'm still trying to like, how am I gonna pay rent? How am I gonna <laughs> wait, I have to get a car? Wait, there's insurance, there's all these things I have to do to be an adult. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, just it's been, just been real comforting right now. First of all, I want to thank you for, by the way, in addition to the college to work life, many of us are in transitions. And by the way, we're all still adulting. (laughs) Biblically speaking, we're all becoming mature. By the way, there are 75-year-old spiritual adolescents. And there are 21 or 22-year-old adults, and we just heard some adult wisdom, so thank you. Anybody else? We have time for one or two more. Just what God's been showing you or any questions you have. It's so exciting to hear what God's doing. Anyone else? Okay, one more back here. Um, I just love you talking about presence, and that's something like I struggle with a lot in opening our minds and our hearts to the way that God like reveals his presence in the way that we haven't been accustomed to earlier in our lives. So I don't know if you have wisdom around like how we adjust to the ways that God's showing up in new ways and revealing his presence when we're so accustomed to putting him in this box. Like, this is my experience with God. Like, how do we transition? I mean, like, no, God is revealing his presence in this new way. It's me that's not really perceiving that. Wow. Thank you for the honesty. Um, There's four things that that have helped me, and they still help me. And if you didn't hear the full question is, you know, we experience God's presence certain ways, and yet... God wants to take us on and give us new experiences, and sometimes we put God in a little bit of a box. Maybe a story, I'll give you the four points, but maybe a story will help most of all. Stories always help more than my four points anyway. So, remember I joked with you about the day the electric guitar came in the church? By the way, the next week drums came, and then it was the apocalypse, okay? (laughs) You know, it was... But I was blessed, you know, in my youth group and young adulthood with amazing, just like we had this morning, amazing worship. And God met me there with that style. So fast forward 20 years, I'm in Nashville. I'm in I'm turning 40. And there's a young 20-something worship team, and it wasn't loud, beautiful theology, but the rhythms were different. And I I sat there like this. You call this music? (laughs) You call this worship? It was hard to get into. And the Holy Spirit said, you're doing the same thing as the people that were upset about the drums. And tears began to flow down my cheeks and my arms opened up. And the Bible says, sing a new song. Will you humbly submit to the leadership of the next generation taking you into the presence of God? Do I have my preferences? Of course I do. The good music was all written between 1720 and 1850. (laughs) And between 1964 and 1973, you know. (laughs) With a few things thrown in, I missed the 80s. I was raising kids. Um, I have my, by the way, my preferences aren't God's principles. One more story may help you. In 1987, 88, there were a bunch of scandals with TV evangelists. And not one of the scandal persons, but a famous TV person came to the church I was serving, a big church, and my attitude was, I want to be as far away from this as I can be. I sat up in the balcony, like this, going, "Oh, just give me grace, Lord, to endure this," you know. And this old gentleman, who was who was going to be with the Lord in just a few years, well known, spoke for 15 minutes on Psalm 23. If, if that's new to you, "The Lord is my shepherd." He drew the net, and 300 people came to Christ. The tears started to flow again, and here's what I I vowed for the last 30 years. Every time I'm with your people, Lord, I ask you to help me be a giver to you and others and help me receive whether or not it's my preference. Now, I teach pastors. I have an analytical ear. I want to give you permission. You can have an analytical ear and an ear to the Holy Spirit. So I'm, can I, can I just be vulnerable here? I'm watching Ryan going, I wish I could speak half as well as him. My analytical ear is going, wow, what a good speaker. And I was evaluating all the things he was doing. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me through Psalm 21. If, so let me give you those four points. Number one, be open to new experiences because it's God's glory in the church to bring every culture together. Ephesians 3.10 The manifold wisdom of God is on display. And the glory of the church around this table this morning at the end of the service, please come. Jesus gave us the bath of baptism and the meal of the Lord's table. And if you'd like to do that, it's here for you. And all are welcome if you love Jesus. So be open. Appreciate other styles. Number two, take time to listen. It's so hard Take time to listen to God, both as you're reading and as you're praying. Number three, be alert to God speaking to you through others that you would not expect. Be alert to that. He'll use imperfect situations, personalities that are even grating sometimes. Be alert to him speaking to you through others. And then fourthly, Give time before you uh, react to circumstances. Give time to get perspective. Oh, you're still going to have feelings. Process those. By the way, the first feeling you have is not a sin. You should be angry at injustice or frustrated with evil or the office politics. Those first feelings aren't sins, but don't feed those feelings. Give time and watch the Lord use you in moving in the opposite spirit of some of that suffering and difficulty that you face. Sisters, brothers, thank you for embodying the body in a unique way in a valley that so needs the gospel. Would you join me for a final benediction? Gracious and loving Lord, we thank you and praise you for your presence here. The sweetness and the power, the holy awe and the warm love of your presence overtakes us, Lord. We thank you for your word at work in our souls. And God, we once again, we pray for our pastor that he and Jen and family would be refreshed. And we pray for one another. Would you take a moment as I'm saying amen, would you bless the person on your right and your left as we go from this place to work in your world, God, use us as ambassadors, co-workers, servants, to bring this message of reconciliation, restoration, and perspective. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.